Well, last week, we continued in our series in the book of Exodus, and it was, a, it was quite a, a long passage that we were looking through, almost uh, three chapters, two and a half chapters. And one of, the, one of my friends came to me afterwards and said, boy, when you told us what we were going through, I was expecting an intermission with coffee. It was <laughs> going to be so long. Well, if you think... Last week was long. (laughs) Uh, And there will be no intermission with coffee or donuts this morning. But this morning we are in one of the more stunning and interesting and exciting and strange parts in the book of Exodus. But before we start, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this is your inspired, breathed out truth to your church. And that you, through your word, intend to speak to us this morning. And Lord, we anticipate hearing from you. So speak to us, Lord. May we learn more about you. Help us to hear, not just with our ears, but to understand with our hearts. That our lives may be transformed and that our lives may bring glory and honor to you who deserve all the glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen. Well, after... Moses' failure, in in beginning of chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh for the very first time. And God had told Moses prior in the previous chapters that when he goes to Pharaoh with his brother Aaron, he's supposed to take the elders with them. He's supposed to take the staff and he's supposed to show Pharaoh these signs and wonders. He's supposed to throw down the staff and it will become a snake. He's supposed to take his hand and put it in his cloak. And when he pulls it out, it'll be leprous. And when he puts it back in, it will be healed. He's supposed to do these signs and wonders. He's supposed to take some water and pour it out and it will be turning from water to blood. And these signs are supposed to, to communicate something to Pharaoh. But he also <clears throat> excuse me, warns Moses and he says to Moses, look, you're going to do these things and Pharaoh is not going to change his mind. He's not going to let my people go. He's not going to let my people go. He's not going to let them go so that they may go and serve me. And so after the failure of 5-1, Moses is discouraged, he's disheartened, and he once again, as he had previously in the earlier chapters, he just says to God, why bother? What's the point? But the Lord in his love and patience and grace towards Moses tells him, Moses, go, go. I have I have called you to do this. And Moses, Moses obeys. And so after the failure of 5-1, he finally makes his way back to Pharaoh. And in the first meeting where Moses didn't perform any signs and wonders, um, now in this new passage, starting in chapter 7, verse 8, the exodus truly begins in earnest. The exodus is about to start. You know, understand, Egypt was a nation that worshipped many gods. 
In, in ancient Egypt, Pharaoh was the ultimate god, but there were many false gods that they worshipped. They worshipped the Nile River. They worshipped snakes. They worshipped frogs and cattle and sun and, and others. And these are soon, all of these, these gods are soon laid low in this wonderful and fascinating story of the plagues of Exodus, a, a battle between the Lord of all creation and the many false gods that Egypt worships. That's what we're going to encounter this morning. And when scripture speaks of Pharaoh's hard heart, and we will see that refrain again and again after each plague, we will see again and again, and Pharaoh has hardened his heart. Or we will see that God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. It, it means, when he talks about a hardened heart, it means that Pharaoh had a resolute heart. A resolute heart. That he was resolute in his decision not to let the people of Israel go. There were numerous reasons why he would not let the people of Israel go because he was, he was God in his own view. He was the one that, that ruled these people. He was not about to let them go to some God he did not know as we saw earlier in chapter 5 who Pharaoh says, I don't know this God. Why should I let the people go? And so he has a hardened heart, a resolute heart. And when Scripture talks, as we will see in this passage, as, as Scripture talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart, it is only, God is only doing what Pharaoh already wants to do. God is not manipulating Pharaoh to do something he doesn't want to do. But he is, he is already just, he's just supporting what Pharaoh wants to do. And we will see that again and again. Pharaoh is an arrogant, he's an unyielding man, he is not humble, and he is unwilling to recognize that there is someone more powerful than him. And that is what we're going to see. Pharaoh needed to learn. This is what he needs to learn. He needs to learn that his adversary is not some former Egyptian prince named Moses, but his adversary is the king of all creation. His adversary is Yahweh. And as God promises in chapter 3, verse 20, Pharaoh will learn who God is. And he will learn by the miracles and wonders displayed through a terrifying tale of woes and plagues. That is what Pharaoh is going to learn. <clears throat> but most of you have read the story of the plague. So what is the point of the plagues before we get into this passage? Listen, the, the plagues are there for a reason. And they're not, just not there to make a, an exciting book. The plagues are there because they are a demonstration of God's power to deliver his people, to, to show everyone and so that everyone will know that Yahweh, God, is the Lord over all creation and especially over all of Egypt's false and cheap gods. And we see that again and again in every passage, why God is doing these plagues. And through these plagues, God will <coughs> excuse me, make himself known, primarily in three ways. He will demonstrate, <coughs> I'm so sorry, <coughs> He will demonstrate himself, his sovereign power. He will demonstrate his gracious mercy. And he will demonstrate his enduring patience. Now look at chapter 7 and beginning in verse 8. 
The Lord, <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses <clears throat> and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that I might become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. And still... Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Moses does the first signs that God had told him to do. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so now, as we move on in chapter 7, the exodus begins in earnest with the first plague. That first plague is something to behold. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water, stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go for this purpose that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far, you have not obeyed. Now here is the key point of this plague. Thus says the Lord, verse 17, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Understand, Nile, the Nile River in Egypt was a source of life. It was, it was a God that the people worshipped. And so God tells Moses, Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, Moses says, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And so Moses does that. Moses turns the water to blood. In the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, the staff is lifted up, the, struck the water in the Nile and it turns to blood and the fish die and the Nile stinks and the Egyptians can't drink the water from the Nile. Now the magicians come along and they do the same thing. They take some water and they turn it to blood. But what you notice about the, the Egyptian magicians here is that they can't turn the Nile back to water. They can, with their little secret arts, make water look like blood. But they can't turn the Nile back to water. Only God can do that. And the, the Egyptians were, were so, so overwhelmed by this that it goes on for seven full days. And eventually they're having to dig wells alongside of the Nile to get fresh water. And still, in this first plague, Pharaoh hardens his heart. So the Lord moves on. Now we have the second plague, the plague of frogs. This, this to me is one of the best. 
<clears throat> I, I like this plague. <clears throat> Verse 1 of chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Again, you will see that refrain again and again. But if you refuse to let them go, go behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your servant and your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. But there will be frogs everywhere. You cannot escape the frogs. The frogs shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. But the magicians did the same by their secret art and made frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. Now, that, I think that's one of the stupidest responses. There's enough frogs already, and now these magicians are making more frogs. <laughs> then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs. So, so the magicians can make frogs, but they can't take away frogs. Because we're beginning to see who's the sovereign one. Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses says this to Pharaoh. He says, okay, command me when you want me to plead to God. Tell me when you want this to happen. And so, Moses, so Moses is told by Pharaoh, tomorrow, do it tomorrow. Now what does that show you? It shows Pharaoh, and it shows Egypt, and it shows Israelites. God's the one in control. He'll set the time. He'll determine when this is going to happen. He'll determine when this is going to stop. And so, and he said, tomorrow, verse 10, a display of God's sovereignty over creation. And Moses said, be it as you say. Now, here, here it is again. So that you may know. That you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Understand, the book of Exodus is all about God making himself known. And now he's doing it with frogs. He's doing it with plagues. Now understand this too. Frogs were one of the Egyptian gods that was worshipped. It was the god of fertility. See the irony in this? God's smacking down the Nile. God's smacking down frogs. And so then Moses goes. He pleads with God. And then the frogs die. And they die in the houses. And they die in the courtyards. And they die in the fields. And they die in the ovens. And they die in the beds. And they die in the bathtubs. And they're gathered in heaps. And again, the land stinks. Now, if you remember back in, I believe it's Exodus 2, Pharaoh is talking about the Israelites being a stink to the Egyptians. And now the turnaround comes. The fish stink from the Nile. The frogs stink from being heaped up in piles, dead. But what does Pharaoh do when he sees this and he sees there's respite? It says that he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. So now there's this third plague, the plague of what is said gnats, but from what I understand, it, it appears that it actually could be lice. 
See, I knew you'd respond that way. <laughs> Everybody can go, Nats, yeah, just slap them away. But when you talk about lice, lice in the hair, lice on the skin. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast and all the dust of the earth, all the dust became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried to, by their secret arts, to produce gnats, and they could not. So the gnats were on them as well. And then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. See how God is making himself known? But Pharaoh's heart is once again hardened. And now comes the fourth plague. You think the gnats were bad? We got flies for you now. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning. Where's we heard that before? Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let them go, I'll send a swarm of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and into the houses of the Egyptian shall be filled with a swarm of flies and also the ground on which they stand. So not only are they covered by flies, but wherever they're walking, they're hearing crunching as they're stepping on flies. Now, God must have sense of humor. I mean, that's, I think that, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> but here's, here's an interesting twist in this plague. And, and don't, don't assume this is the only time, but, it, it, but on that day, I'll set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there. And again, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I don't think the frogs or the, the river of blood, or the gnats touch the people of God as well. But here, again, this is a condensed version. Moses is writing this. This is, this is all that happened. It's like when at the, the end of um, John's gospel, John says that these are just some of the signs and wonders, all of the signs and wonders that Jesus did if we recorded them. There wouldn't be enough books to hold all that Jesus did. And so here, again, we're, we're kind of getting a condensed version, and we see that God makes it clear his people are set apart. Heart. Oh, the Egyptians are going to suffer with flies, but not these people. And here's, here's an interesting comment made by Moses, quoting, throughout the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarm of flies. So Pharaoh pleads with Moses, and God relents, and once again, what does Pharaoh do? What does Pharaoh do? He hardens his heart. So now we have the fifth plague. And note, under, notice the intensity by which these plagues move on. And it's the Egyptian livestock. They, they die in chapter 9. The Hebrew word coal can mean um, all sorts of or from all over. So not every beast, not every cattle, not every uh, livestock died. Um, but throughout the land all over. There were cattle still around when the, the plague of hail came and killed cattle. There were cattle still around when, next week when we get to uh, the plague of death where th those 
cattle had died or, or sheep or whatever. And so um, notice that it's not everyone had died. Now verse 1 of chapter 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. And if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did it again. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh checked. He sends out his servants. Check to see if any of the Israelite livestock died. And they didn't. But what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh hardens his heart. And so God ups the ante. And we come to the sixth plague. The plague of boils. This is one I want nothing to do with. I, in fact, studying and preparing for this, I just, I, I just like, I was more concerned about getting some of these plagues, particularly this one. Um, and times I was scratching. It's like, am I getting a boil? Is this? The plague of boils, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. So he goes and he gets, he gets the soot from a kiln. And he goes before Pharaoh and he tosses it in the air. Pharaoh's probably thinking, what an idiot. <laughs> what, what an idiot. It becomes fine dust over the land of Egypt and then boils break out. Sores on man and beast. That includes Pharaoh. That includes everybody in Egypt. Moses throws it in the air. It all breaks out. And now the magicians themselves can't stand before Pharaoh and Moses because they've got boils all over themselves. And yet, covered with boils in a land that stinks of dead frogs and flies and dead beasts and lice, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pride is so insidious. Pride blinds It's amazing what this man has held on to just to maintain his arrogant position. Listen, the magicians went from seeing the plague of lice as the finger of God to experience the plague of boils as the judgment of God. But Pharaoh hardens his heart. And so now we have the seventh plague, the hail and what we've seen is God is Lord over creation. God is showing Pharaoh he's Lord over all these false gods, over all of creation, over, over livestock, over insects, over, 
over rivers. He's, he's Lord over all. And now he is Lord over hail. You, this is, this plague is a real picture of climate change. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 13, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh and say to him, now can you imagine, this is the third time Pharaoh goes down to the river in the morning, he's going down to bathe, and here is Moses standing there again. Imagine Moses, uh, Pharaoh's thought. Oh, here we go again. He's back. He's back. What now? What's going on now? And Moses says this. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people. And here it is again. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And here, here's the key. Here, here's why we see all of these plagues coming in verse 17. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Now, Notice the graciousness of God in this plague of hails. He says, now therefore send and get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. And then, then whoever feared the word of the Lord. And so you see that some of the people of Egypt are beginning to see and know who God is because they fear the word of the Lord. And some of them hurried and put their livestock away and hid in their houses but there were others who did not pay attention to the word of the Lord. And hail and fire flashing, continuing in the midst of hail, very heavy hail, such as never had been seen in all the land of Egypt since it become a nation. Hail comes, except in the land of Goshen, where the people of God reside. What an amazing display of God's power. And then in verse 27 of chapter 9, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that what you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So it is still thundering. It is still hailing. It is hail that kills people. And what does Moses do? He walks out in the midst of the hail and the thunder untouched. It's still going on. Can you imagine Pharaoh watching this? Moses walking out in killing hail, killing lightning, screaming thunder. And he goes out 
untouched. And he pleads with God. He's on behalf of Pharaoh, he stretches out his hand and the thunder and the hail cease and the rain no longer pours on the earth. But again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And now we get to the, ninth, the eighth plague. Okay, we, we haven't had enough with frogs. We haven't had enough with lice. We haven't had enough with flies. Now we get locusts. Chapter 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Now again, God, God's not making Pharaoh do something he doesn't want to do. Pharaoh's like, no, 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 I don't want any more plagues. I don't want to harden my heart. I don't want to do this. No, no, no. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart is resolute. He has exalted himself over God. He is arrogant. He is not humble. He is rejecting the word of God. And so God is only making his heart more resolute in what Pharaoh has already decided he is going to do. God is not making Pharaoh a puppet. God is gracious, and he would not do that. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. And so this is what all of Exodus revolves around. God making himself known. God's making himself known to Pharaoh. God's making himself known to the Egyptians. God's making himself known to Moses and Aaron. And now God is making himself known to the Israelites and not just the Israelites, but to the ensuing generation that they would know, that we would know when we read this, that we would know that God is the Lord, that he is the sovereign one over all creation and that there is nothing that goes on in our lives that God is not in control of, that God does not see. There is no moment. God is controlling nature. God is controlling mankind. God is controlling insects. God is sovereign. And he says it right here. This is to be a testimony for you sitting here this morning that you may know So Moses and Aaron went in and said to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That's the insidious nature of pride. We just refuse to humble ourselves. Pharaoh's not the only one who struggles with pride. There's something we can learn from this. There's a truth, we, there's a, a warning we can take away. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. Because the hail destroyed all the crops so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. They shall eat every tree of yours and everything that grows in the field. They shall, eat, they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. 
And then he left. Pharaoh's servant said to him, Don't you understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh and he said, Okay, okay, go serve the Lord. But who's going to go? Who's going to go? Well, (laughs) that doesn't work because then he hardens his heart. Because Moses wanted everybody to go and he only wanted, he didn't want the children to go. And so the locusts come up over the land of Egypt and they settle on the whole country. Such a dense swarm of locusts that have never seen before and will never be seen again. They covered the face of the whole land. So that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit on the trees that hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither plant nor field in, or, or in the field through all the land of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. How much more can this man take? How much more can this nation take? Well, there's more to come. The ninth plague, darkness. 10, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. And these are, these are chilling words. A darkness to be felt. A darkness to be felt. In Egyptian culture, darkness was equated with death. Think of the fear that came to these people. So Moses stretches out his hand and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all of the people of Israel had light where they lived. The story of the plagues is far removed from our modern experience. Rivers of blood, lice, locusts, deadly hail, boils, and frogs describe events that we really know little about. But for these ancient readers, they would have marveled at the power of God. And God's God's plan here would have been completed. They would know. They would know who God is. And through these amazing and extraordinary events, God has made himself known. And again, as I said earlier, particularly in in three ways. The first attribute of God, the first thing we see is God's power. Unlike Egypt's many false gods who only rule over some aspect of life, Yahweh is sovereign over all creation. Every plague is a testimony of God's existence and God's power over man and animal and insects and natures. And before him, the so-called gods of Egypt are powerless. And centuries later, centuries later, we will see something very similar. When Jesus performs signs and wonders to make himself known. John 20, 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. Now the difference in the signs that Jesus performed and the power that he displayed is that he performed those signs that led to salvation, not death. Consider what Israel must have thought. They suffered under Pharaoh's cruelty for more than 400 years. They lost sight of God's covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. They probably knew more about the Egyptian gods than they did about Yahweh, the Lord of all creation. And over weeks and maybe months, is how long these plagues took place, Israel watched as God, as God proved himself powerful over the greatest nation on earth with unimaginable happenings, happenings that they were spared from. So we see in this story the power of God. And may we never question God's ability to do anything in any situation in our lives. J.A. Matir in his commentary says this, Possibly the most obvious truth arising from the history of the plagues is of the immense, irresistible power of the Lord, its total command of every possible resource, and its total sway over the whole field of human life, place, person, and event. All things and everything, all peoples and every person lie uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Indeed so, but marvelously, the same power acts to shelter and protect us, to guard us even from what we just deserve. In Christ, the power of God. See, the plagues were just a shadow of God's power. The ultimate display of God's power is when he delivers his people through Jesus Christ. Through the incarnation, Christ's perfection, his death and resurrection. God overcame sin and death through the death of his son. And today, our church, this church, the church of God, God's power is still on display. By the power of God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that dwells in you, God is now at work so that we can live holy lives for Him. Oh, the power of God. The plagues are just a shadow. The second attribute we see is in the transformation of our lives. Please understand this. We're sitting here today on a Sunday morning where most of the world is out doing something different. The transformation of our lives from sinners to saints is a more awesome display of God's power than any plague that ever occurred in Egypt. Second attribute we see is God's graciousness. He, he removes plagues. All these plagues, these signs and wonders reveal more about God's judgment than just God's judgment. They reveal how gracious he is in his restraint. God could have easily just ended the whole thing with one word. One word and, and the world is created. One word. He upholds the world by his word. One word and Pharaoh's life would have been over. Egypt's existence gone. He could have obliterated Egypt like Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Instead, God shows incredibly gracious restraint by warning Pharaoh each time of impending doom, by telling him of the consequences of his disobedience. He even warns Pharaoh in the, in the plague of hail to, hey, get your cattle indoors because tomorrow this plague is coming. That is how gracious God is and he's gracious to us in the same way. He, he warns us. He warns us through Scripture how we are to live. He warns us through one another in the community, in this church that we have. He warns us sometimes through our circumstances so that we will not suffer the consequences of sin. God is a gracious God. David writes in Psalm 86, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What caused Pharaoh to reject God's gracious opportunities? As we see in the plague of locusts, even when his own officials plead with him, let, let Israel grow, you're ruining our country. He refuses to humble himself. Pride leads us to reject God's gracious offer to repent. And as we'll soon see, God's gracious opportunities do not last forever. Repentance is a gift from God. And if we reject that gift like Pharaoh does, eventually we will experience either the judgment or the discipline of God. But then there's this third attribute, this final attribute, God's patience. Pharaoh's attitude towards God is one of deceit and arrogance. He thinks he can get away with whatever he wants to get away with continually. And time and time again, after he pleads with God to remove the plagues, he hardens his heart. And yet God continues to give him chance after chance after chance. And in spite of all of that, God remains patient and consistent in his dealings with Pharaoh. What, what more could God have done to persuade him without encroaching upon his freedom. With, with great patience, God doesn't use his power to put Pharaoh in place. He doesn't use his power to destroy him. Listen, God sent these plagues, numerous plagues, to help Pharaoh to come to a place of repentance. And Pharaoh refuses. And although this is seemingly strange, plagues are a sign of patience of God's patience. And as Scripture says, God is, He is slow to anger, but listen, His patience does not last forever. There is a time when God's patience comes to an end. Psalm 106, Israel has provoked the Lord to anger. God's patience has run out, so to speak, not really, but ended. And so God sends a plague upon Israel. And God is patient with us in our weaknesses and our frailties and our sins. He is slow to anger and he's abounding in love towards you and towards me. But he will not impose his will on us just as he did not impose his will on Pharaoh. If you remember in Romans 1, patience had its limit. God eventually gave over in Romans 1 to what the sinners wanted. He gave them over to a depraved mind because they were worshiping the creature rather than the Creator. He gave them over to their sinful desires because they worshipped false gods just as the Egyptians did. And as we will see in next week's message, God's patience comes to a terrible and tragic end. 
God will tolerate sin no more and he will deliver his people from slavery so they can be free to worship him. Desmond Alexander, as we close, says God's call is not a call to let his people go so that they may be free and independent in their pursuit of happiness or of whatever other ends or goals they individually happen to prefer. Instead, the call of God issued repeatedly in Exodus and set forth today as well takes a markedly different form. Let my people go that they may serve me. Brothers and sisters, God has made himself known to us that we might be free to serve him. Time and again we have seen during these plagues he has done this to make himself known. What is God doing in our lives to make himself known? God's ultimate plan was not just to save Israel, but eventually the Gentile world as well, that all would be free to serve him and not the God of this world. God has proven his sovereignty in this passage. God has proven his lordship in his passage. His mighty acts of judgment, through his mighty acts of judgment, we have have seen his judgment and we have also seen miracles of grace. The greatest in our lives being the death and the resurrection of Christ that offers us salvation. Listen, if you do not know the Lord, if you are like one of the Egyptians this morning, if you are like Pharaoh, just refusing to hear God, refusing to humble yourself before God, listen, these plagues are just a warning sign. The consequences of sin The ultimate consequence of sin is death, eternal death. It is the judgment of God, the justice of God. And God makes his his case this morning. He pleads his case with you this morning. Oh, don't don't be like the Egyptians. Oh, no, no, no. I've done all these things that you may know, that you may know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making yourself known that we would even be sitting here this morning. Lord, we have made yourself known that we would not suffer under the wrath and punishment that our sins deserve, but that we'd be set free through the sacrifice, the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, may we now, by your power, live the kind of holy lives that you desire. In Christ's name we pray, amen.